Hello, and welcome to another episode of Resting Batch Face, the only Top Chef recap podcast where when the hosts do a black box challenge, they're just binge drinking Franzia Pinot Noir. I am Dan Paul, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Gwen Kirby. Gwen, how are you doing today? I mean, now I wish I was drinking a glass of boxed Pinot Noir, but I guess I'm going to have to settle for this iced coffee instead. Got to keep it sharp for Resting Batch Face Nation. Indeed, indeed. They demand the best from us. Well, just reminding everybody where we are, we ended last episode with Byron getting sent home from the Tofu Challenge, but in reality getting sent to the top, the Last Chance Kitchen finale. And on the one hand, Last Chance Kitchen somehow took two episodes and 40 minutes. And on the other hand, in this actual episode, they were able to recap that in about 30 seconds by basically just saying, nobody is rejoining the competition. So Gwen, like, is there anything you really want to talk about from Last Chance Kitchen? No, not really. I mean, I, so I, when I just watched this episode and I thought like, oh, you know, it'll a little bit spoil the surprise of Last Chance Kitchen, right? I'll see who won, but like, it'll be fine. And it said the episode starts and they were just like, oh man, poor Byron, am I right? All right, let's go. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? So then it just seemed like, Tom Colicchio got to just do a really extended torture session of Byron where he was like pushed to his physical limits and then it was over and he was done and everyone went home. Yeah, yeah. just to briefly recap it, first Byron had to face Sarah in a bento box challenge, which he won. He then had to face a gauntlet of Gabe, Maria, and Jamie and win twice out of three. He lost to Gabe, he beat Maria, and then he lost to Jamie leading to the only actually valuable thing that happened in all 40 minutes of Last Chance Kitchen, which is that when Jamie won, she did like finger guns, like a machine gun, and she twirled around going pew, 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 pew. Though it did lead into this episode where she briefly had survivor's guilt, which is going to be a theme in this episode as we talk about, as we talk about some, some feelings. And I will say, you know, this is, This is a pretty powerful episode in terms of just demonstrating that these people care about each other. And we'll kind of get into all of this, but the relationships that they've forged do seem real. They seem pretty kind of moving. And I will say on a a personal level, I don't know if any of you are soccer fans, though Gwen points out that this may have bled out of the world of soccer. So the European soccer championships are going on right now. And yesterday at around 1030 in the morning, Denmark was playing Finland. And Denmark's captain, a, a very, very skilled young Dane named Christian Eriksen, collapsed. I mean, he had like a heart attack. He's 28 and like a world soccer star. So obviously in incredible shape and just kind of collapsed. And nobody really knew what to do. They were in the middle of the soccer game. Anyway, he, he appears that he's going to be okay. But it was a very kind of shocking, shocking, startling moment. I bring it up only because... You know, he used to play for Tottenham, which is the team that me and Gwen both like and still follow. I do at least a lot of a lot of the Tottenham players on on Instagram and on Twitter and just kind of the entire soccer world's outpour of their kind of emotions for Christian Eriksen, who, among other things, it kind of struck me that he he was such a baby when he knew all these people. And you see these these people kind of tweeting about him and they all just joined the team together when they're like in their early 20s. I mean, it's like before they would have even gone to MFA school and just kind of thinking about the, the relationships between people that you only know as a kind of fan, or you don't really know them, but you see these small windows into the kind of 
not just the real people they are, whatever that means, but the kind of real relationships they have. Multiple goal scorers that were former teammates of him just like ran to the camera and were just saying like, I love you, Christian, including Hyun Min Son, um, the Tottenham star who plays for South Korea and is very cute and very earnest. Anyway, so like, it was just weird to kind of watch and rethink about this episode in light of just like my entire social media just being being people that you would think of honestly as like Christian Erickson's competitors at times or just like professional acquaintances just kind of like earnestly kind of gushing about their relationships. And this is an episode that is just you just don't see on a lot of game shows the kind of relationships between competitors that you see on this show and in particular this season. So I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a, a weird way to kind of start our recap of this, but it's kind of what I was thinking about. No, I think that's very appropriate. I mean, we can talk about all the ways in which the various constraints here are arbitrary, and it's you know it's it's structured to be a show, and and parts of it are fake or twisted or edited. But I think you can see really clearly that the relationships that these people have built with each other are very real, and that you know I they're they're going to continue throughout their lives. I mean, when Maria and Jamie are waiting to see which one of them is getting eliminated and Maria says to Gabe, like, you know, uh, you're my mentor. You know, I think that that's, that's the kind of relationship that's going to continue after this show and have important ramifications for, for all of them. And it just, it makes me, it makes me happy. They're all just, they seem like wonderful people and I'm, I'm glad they're having this opportunity and I hope it makes their lives better. Indeed, indeed. And I mean, I will say, certainly at the very least, I mean, we'll talk a lot about Maria. We'll give her a proper send off at the end of this. But something tells me that you and me, Gwen, are not the only people who are going to now seek out her restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. Not just because uh, it has tacos. Not just because it has tacos. I think that that should be on their 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 branding somewhere. Um, but speaking, as you said, about weird arbitrary constraints and game shows. <laughs> Jesus let's Christ. Let's get into this quick fire, which... I almost like honestly just to troll you want to ask you to describe the oh conceit, my God. The conceit of this quick fire. Literally my note on this was I started describing it and then I wrote blah 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 I assume Dan will explain this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. like, no, no no I can do it though I can do it let's see if I can do it. Because I was just, just like Jesus Christ like I'm fucking still having my morning coffee. Like, fuck me. So I don't know. Some fancy chefy motherfucker has to put together a five star dish. Um, and uh, Gabriel Rucker, there we are. I have a professional who took notes, and he makes a dish, and they have to replicate it. But it's kind of not that easy, of course. So they're broken into teams, and the teams are Don and Brooke, Shoda and Gabe, Jamie and Maria. So the gourmet dishes are placed in a black box. Three of the chefs have to go into it. They've got to taste it. They've got to be like, oh, I think this tastes like squab and this tastes like carrots. And then they have to go out, start prepping, and then they go time. And then their teammate goes into the black box. They like, I don't know, rub the food on themselves, try to figure out what it is. Then they go back outside and try to finish the dish. And of course their teammates can't communicate to one another. This honestly, like, this was so fucking elaborate. I was like, I just, I feel like the quick fire team, they got, like, too excited. So, I think you just did, you did an admirable attempt to try to describe this nonsense. Um, 
it begins, Padma is standing in front of three black doors. I mean, it just looks like a weird-ass magic trick on a stage in Vegas. Dawn, perhaps revealingly, says that she is, quote, reminded of a peep show. Yeah. We are told that they are replicating a Top Chef France challenge, the Black Box Challenge, which I really don't know if that makes me want to go home and binge all of Top Chef France or to <laughs> pretend that there is no such thing as yeah. Top Chef France and not let it enter my mind. Jamie, of course, the, the queen we all need, says she'll be okay as long as a clown doesn't pop up. <laughs> um, and again, there's only five of them, so to split into pairs, the, the, the twist is that Brooke Williamson shows up yeah. and she teams up with Dawn. Padma says, don't get blindsided. And I have in my notes, how many takes did they have to do before they could get them to what looks like convincingly laugh? <laughs> and and Brooke, honestly, I think Brooke has a quote that makes her basically the spokeswoman for resting batch face when she says, stepping into potentially the most difficult quick fire I've ever done. I'm starting to rethink my whole life. <laughs> and hard saying Brooke. And yeah. the chef, I mean, again, it's not just that it's like, the thing that I find so stupid about this, it's, it's like Gabriel Rucker, as if I know who the fuck that is. Like, unless it's Darius Rucker's brother, which seems unlikely considering it's a French white guy and not like the lead singer from Hootie and the Blowfish. Like, <laughs> I just don't see it. And it, they, they first, they have all these camera angles on him, like from the back in the way that oh, like yeah, you would. Like he's a fucking mystery. Like, they're going to like turn the camera and you're like, oh my God, it's Barack Obama. I'm like, what, yeah. am I going to see his face and be like, oh my God, Gabriel Rucker. Like, we don't fucking know who you are. The two things it made me think of were the banker on Deal or No Deal and like the head bad guy member of Team Rocket from Pokemon. Um, for, for all of you out there who, again, are both Top Chef and Pokemon fans, which is to say are one listener, probably. Um, they look immensely demonic in the dark. Like, they have this, like, night vision cameras, which it's the first time I've seen night vision on a reality show without sex in a little bit, so it was a bit of an adjustment. But their eyes look profoundly demonic. Dawn gets in there and just crushes it. Like, nobody else can seem to figure out that there's mustard in this carrot puree. Maybe because that sounds actually kind of disgusting, but whatever. It does. And pistachio. And Dawn is just like, clearly there's mustard and pistachio. And Maria, as always, speaking truth to power, is just like, this is so fucking weird. And like, Brooke then, again, Brooke was trying to set up Dawn because we're on the same team. So she cooked for 20 minutes and then had to just step away and hope that Brooke could figure out, that Dawn could figure out what she was doing. And Dawn can't seem to see that Brooke already set out some carrots to boil in, in advance of being a puree. And I swear, Brooke looks like she is dying. She looks she so devastated. The other great thing that happens there is that Maria has this like mind freeze where she can't figure out how to butcher the squab. And Jamie just starts singing Amazing Grace in a manner that only, only Jamie can. I mean, there's some small great moments here. Gabe, despite the fact that Shoda thought there was beef shank in there and he set out beef shank, Gabe is just like, I didn't taste any beef shank and just sets it aside. I liked that power move from Gabe, just being like, I, you know, bless Shoda, that wasn't in it, boom. Did you look up what a grabiche is? Because I did, and it sounds disgusting. So I will, I'm going to, I did not, again, assuming that you would. And so, again, we have the division of labor here. But Padma says, you know, the fact that you picked up that it was a grabiche is impressive. And I was thinking the fact that you'd ever fucking heard of a grabiche was what seemed pretty impressive to me. So do you want to enlighten our listeners to what a grabiche is? 
Yeah, it I just it does not sound appealing. I'm sure it's probably delicious. So it is a cold egg sauce in French cuisine made by emulsifying hard-boiled egg yolks and mustards with like a neutral oil. And then it's the sauce is finished with chopped pickled cucumbers, capers, parsley, chervil, tarragon, and hard-boiled egg whites cut into julienne. Seems like a lot to be getting on with. And like, it seems like the exact kind of thing that a fucking Bond villain would make. <laughs> and then and then just be like, I was very impressed that they were almost able to replicate my incredible crepiche. Nothing says delicious like pureeing a bunch of hard-boiled eggs and a bunch of cream and then putting it on a bird. I will. <laughs> Sorry, I've never heard that voice from you before, but like, I kind of like I'm going like to rub that bird and the eggs of it, babies. <laughs> For those of you who had the betting pool as to exactly when Gwen Kirby was going to go off the rails, the answer was 13 minutes and 20 seconds into the podcast. I had a lot of iced coffee today, and I'm very hormonal. All anyway, right. Yeah. It's a wild time to be alive. Dawn and Brooke win the quick fire, and I don't even, I was barely even paying attention. I hope they won some money for this because they didn't. there's no. There's no consequences. There's no consequences. And it was the most elaborate, absolute, pointless thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, I will say for a moment when they were just showing us the Bond villain from the back, I thought for a second it might be Richard Blaze. But then the moment that the dish was not like 50% frozen in liquid nitrogen and the other half was like suspended in a gelatin defying gravity in the manner of those like mountains in Avatar, I knew that perhaps it was not him. <laughs> So do we have, before we pivot to talking about the Elimination Challenge and all of the feelings that it brings up, our reader has been, listener has been pretty adamant that they do want another Gwen Food Minute. Do we have a Gwen Food Minute prepared? We do. I'm ready. No one needs or wants this except for our one loyal listener, but but I'm here and I'm ready to go. Are you going to do it in the voice you just did about the egg sauce? <laughs> No, that was reserved specifically for that disgusting sounding sauce, unlike what I'm about to describe, which is delicious. It will not be using Gwen's grabiche voice, which no. is good to know that she has. No, that was vile. All right, I'm ready when you're ready. Born ready. All right. <clears throat> so today on Gwen's Food Minute, we are going to talk about gallo pinto, which is a delicious Costa Rican dish. It means speckled rooster because of its kind of white, brown, and little flecks of red appearance, like a cute little fluffy rooster. It's easy to make, and it's delicious. So gallo pinto uh, is going to be the kind of dish that you need to start the day before. So the day before, you're going to want to cook up your rice. I think it's three cups of rice and two cups of beans. If you have an Instapot, this recipe is for you. So easy to make. Let them sit overnight. You don't want to do this with fresh rice in the same way that you don't want to make a stir fry with fresh rice, right? You want those kernels a little bit dried out so that they can get, you know, woo, cooked, cooked. So put them in, choo, choo, choo. So the next day, <laughs> the next day, dice up your onions, cut it nice and fine. Dice up a red bell pepper, cut it nice and fine. Put it in your nice big skillet, get some oil, get some butter, sizzle, 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 get those a little bit soft. And then you're gonna put in your beans, your bean liquid, and your salsa lisano. Now you're probably like, I don't have salsa lisano. Bitch, just get it on Amazon, it'll be there in two days. <laughs> or go to a Latin market in your area, but if you live in Sewanee, you're gonna have to get it on Amazon to get that sweet, sweet Costa Rican flavor. So pour it in, let it kinda simmer for five minutes, gotta get those beans a little bit softened up. 
then you put your oh and i forgot if you're trying to make your husband cry uh grind <laughs> grind up some garlic a habanero and a, and a jalapeno and add that to the onions and the peppers at the end of their cycle before you're doing the beans like i did then add the rice mixy mixy mix stir 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 a little bit more salsa lisano to taste as you wish and then you have a delicious, delicious meal. Uh, it's also excellent if you want to eat it the next day, if you scramble up some eggs and then throw them in with some gallo pinto, it is tres tasty. Um, if you don't like spicy foods, apparently I've been making it too spicy as my husband's sweating forehead and teary eyes can now attest. Boom! Very impressive. It only Your food minute only took you two minutes and 10 seconds. That's better than the last time. But... <laughs> I will say, you know, if you also, you know, want to make your husband cry, you can just have the bachelor right on in the background while you eat. And I look forward to your cookbook, bitch. <laughs> just follow my recipe. The Gwen Kirby cookbook. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's shit's, this shit's delicious, folks. It's a lovely taste of Central America. Indeed, indeed. Well, so the, the challenge is, well, before we get to the challenge – they are told that they are actually going to get a night off. And I have to say the exuberance that they have and the excitement that they have is a reminder that sometimes we forget as we're watching this one week at a time about how insane their production schedule is. Mm -hmm. Because like in your mind, it's like, oh, well, I've been watching the show for 10 weeks. So like, yeah, it sucks. They've been away from their family so long, but like they have just been cooking nonstop for probably this has been compressed into like a week, like a week and a half, two weeks, something like that. And just like the Stockholm syndrome that they had of just be like, oh, you're going to let me have an evening to myself was uh, was pretty amazing. They get back to the ranch, wherever that is, some Portland Airbnb, hopefully not um, doing too much on its own to contribute to the housing crisis in that city. But and there are boxes, care packages from their family. And this is this is the first incidence of people crying is they are presented with letters from their family, along with a bunch of ingredients that then the challenge will be to use at least some of those ingredients and be inspired by those ingredients to make something. And before we get into the actual ingredients and basically how Maria and Jamie's family fucked them over, I, I do just want to ask you, what is like when you think family comfort food? Like in terms of my family? Yeah. And again, it doesn't have to be stuff your, your parents cook because, you know, there are not that many recipes that just call for raw cashews, but like... <laughs> My parents don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, mine either. I've been <laughs> I've been throwing some shade at Mama Pierce's um particular particular style of British boiling cuisine. But I mean, like, I guess when you think of comfort food that you associate with your family, it doesn't have to be something they necessarily cook. It doesn't have to be like your parents. But what do you think of? I don't really know. I mean, I guess I think of I think of Mexican food. I think my my family is not we're not a family of cooks i know our listeners will be shocked because when they hear my food minute they're like my god that's a woman who grew up just you know in a in a culinary environment but you know when my family wanted to have like a pretty easy dinner and we just wanted to kind of be together um we would go to the mexican restaurant near my house and we knew you know we were there like once a week we knew the people who ran it we knew their names they knew our names um you know you'd get your enchilada and the, the beans and that orangey rice and it just would take and you know a diet coke and it just kind of tastes like home yeah i guess that's what i think of i think of two things i mean one is kind of related to yours so like my dad this is going to make him sound like an alcoholic 
which I suppose he is, but a, a jolly one. You know, like anytime my mom was out of town, my dad would be like, all right, you know, I'm going to be home at seven. I'm going to cook, make sure you're home. And at about 7.15, we'd get a call from the bar and be like, oh, why don't you just come down to the bar? And <laughs> and we would. And there's this particular bar in New York that you're in on Spring Street has just the best muscles. And it's also like my dad would take me there after Little League. And kind of the deal was like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell my mom that he was getting Guinnesses at 10 in the morning if he wouldn't tell her that I was getting cherry Cokes. But the muscles, again, this is where I like first discovered muscles, which is making me sound very Colonel Aureliano Buendia. Um, <laughs> but hopefully I can avoid the firing squad. Um, and the other is just my my Nana, my mother's mother's the Seder that she would put on. We would go to England for Passover. Um, and after the two hours, just talking about the Jews and all of those um, culinary metaphors, you know, the horseradish as slavery, etc., you would finally get to eat. And it was like, incredible matzo ball soup and lamb and roasted potatoes. It was just so rich and so good. And again, you spent the last two hours just literally like eating drops of salt water and horseradish. And it is, it is immense. I will say the, the ingredients really set these chefs up to succeed and fail. So Maria gets a letter from her son and she's crying and everybody's crying. And the son is like, I want you to come home, but I don't want you to come home yet. And you know, like, I'm so proud that you're my mom. And it's like Aww. in the shittiest handwriting, which is just like code for like, you're cute. Some of these ingredients, though, she gets chicken wings and bean sprouts and yeah. some other kinds of stuff. And it's like the problem to a certain extent already setting up is that the bean sprouts are something that her wife really enjoys in stir fry. And the chicken wings are her son's favorite thing, um, like chicken wing Monday or whatever it is, or chicken wing Friday. I can't remember but. Already, she loves her wife and she loves her son. And basically, the ingredients set her up to have to choose. And she can't choose. And so she ends up making chicken wings with a bean sprout salad. And it just doesn't really work. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's so, I mean, it's so sweet. And it's it's such a random box, too. Like, octopus is also in there fun noodles, potato chips. I feel like potato chips and tequila, they're just like trying to set her up to have a fun night. <laughs> yeah. Jamie also got just a perplexing box. And again, it was a very so sweet perplexing. letter from her family, but it was literally like half ingredients for matzo ball soup, which I mean, the, the reference in there is that they would go to this just Jewish restaurant. It seems like around the corner for comfort food, but the rest is Vietnamese stuff. And so she's making this brisket. Um, but again, the ingredients don't really set her up the way that, for example, the box from Shota's, from Shota's mom, it's like the mushrooms that he would forage for with his dad. It's persimmon, which is an Asian fruit. It's just a bunch of stuff he's ready to roll with. Gabe's yeah. box, which I will say, like, I had to rewind a little bit. Like, the, 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 Ill the picture that his son drew of him, like, it looked like a creepy clown. But, I mean, children, children are doing yeah. the best they can. But basically it's like pork and mezcal. And it's like there's a very his, – his wife set him up with shit that she knew he could cook with in a way that certainly Maria and Jamie's family did not. And Dawn's brother – oh my god, this moment where it's like in the letter, like, I know you're missing home while your mother is recovering from your, her stroke. Oh god. And it's like then we get the whole history about like her being a single mother with five siblings, several of whom got went to the Olympics – one of whom now is like maybe going to win Top Chef and sets her up with the kinds of ingredients that she's really used to cooking with. Coffee, pork belly, collards, 
and a lot, a lot going on. I don't know. Is there anything else you kind of want to talk about just about these boxes? Not really. It just seemed like some families had a very clear idea of how these boxes were actually going to be like used and some not so much. Uh, and it was, you know, it was unfortunate to see. I mean, Jamie's like holding up a huge loaf of challah bread and you're like, <laughs> you know, unless she wants to recreate the zombie French toast, I don't know what the fuck she's going to do with that loaf of challah bread. And so she's just, she's in a tough spot. It made me think of the weird historical anecdote that supposedly the sort of head of the the Zionist movement was offered by Ho Chi Minh a parcel of, of land in Vietnam for the Jews to resettle in as opposed to Palestine. And in that alternate reality, that I guess different version of Yiddish Policeman's Union, the Vietnamese Hala fusion would perhaps be very, very popular. But in this instance, it didn't it didn't really happen. She also Jamie does not use the chicken wings because I think she's like failed with chicken wings multiple times. And it also struck me, I think I've mentioned this before, Brooke Williamson on season 10, she failed because of chicken wings. She almost got sent home on the the fried chicken challenge because she tried to make healthy ass chicken wings. And then in the finale, she wasted one of her main courses on making chicken wings because she wanted to quote redeem herself. And she lost to Kristen Kitsch in that challenge. And Kristen Kitsch made like, Again, like bone marrow stuffed with chicken liver mousse or just some fancy-ass French thing. So I think move over, Risotto. There might be a new Top Chef curse, yeah. and it might it might be wings. It. I mean, it did not serve Maria well, and it's kind of, you know, it's not a final five dish. Yeah, um, which is something Colicchio brought up a couple of times. Just like, yeah. again, this is the kind of thing, it's good, it's fine, but we're in the, t- the final five, and you got to step it up. Jamie also... This happens, I feel like, several times a season is somebody goes on Top Chef who has never used a pressure cooker. And it shocks me every time. I guess not only that I know so little about cooking because my conception of cooking is based on Top Chef and they use pressure cookers on Top Chef all the time. Maybe that's just not something that they use in actual restaurants because they don't have the exact same kind of time constraints. But the other part is just like watch Top Chef, right? Like people are always using pressure cookers. Learn how to use one. So that was – Again, a little bit surprising to me, even though it happens every season. Yeah, I mean, concurred. I If I were going on a show that like one of the major obstacles is going to be time constraints, I would be learning how to use all kitchen equipment that cut down on cookie times. So a pressure cooker would seem to be a natural thing to, to try out before you go on the show. So Maria comes out first. She's made the wings for her son that have a kind of miso ginger glaze and then the bean sprout salad with cilantro vinaigrette. and. You know, again, we'll, we'll get to the exact terms of how she goes out, but to exit with a bean sprout salad, especially for somebody like Maria, whose flavors and personality has just been so fucking big. Like bean sprouts seem to me like literally something you eat if like you want to eat water. Like if yeah. you're literally just you have an oral fixation and you want to do something with no calories or flavor or salt, you just pound some bean sprouts or they're a garnish. Like, this is not the time for your bean sprout, just triumphant, arc day triumph or whatever. No, it was, I mean, you knew it wasn't going to be good. She just, 
she was so unconfident preparing it. I mean, like, even as she was back in the kitchen putting it together, it was just like, oh, God, I don't know. Uh, blah. A little bit of Jamie action. Uh, blah, uh. And then it just was like on the plate. And she was like, well, fuck. Yeah. And the, the judges didn't even really talk about the chicken wing that much. I assume it was good because it didn't really get any airtime. But they were on that fucking salad. I mean, as one of them said, it was the salad that was the worst offense to me. <laughs> so, you know. That's damn a damning salad indeed. Gotta love Top Chef for keeping shit in perspective. Absolutely. Jamie um, makes a, a thick cow brisket with caramelized chili au jus. She weirdly just served it on white rice. I mean, I think it seems what happened is that she was psyched out by the brisket because she'd never used a pressure cooker. And it's the kind of thing that she's trying to make a dish that normally would take like a day. Yeah. Of just like like slow cooking. And so she's using the pressure cooker. And it seems like she actually nailed the brisket. She just didn't do shit else. Blaze says, again, just like the damning criticism, this dish does not scream point of view. I mean, and what could be worse at this? I mean, I feel like I've said that on many undergrad short stories as well. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, it, it seemed like the meat was cooked great. Um, and then it was just like on some rice with like a pickled cucumber next to it. And as Tom Clicchio said, like, yeah, if I got this at like a average Vietnamese restaurant, I'd be like, all right, fine. But for top, for almost the end of Top Chef, it did not, it did not cut it. Yeah. Clicchio sitting there, I have to say, disappointedly hatless. But rocking his scarf, you know, he's, he's still trying to do the accessories. But that's what made the hatlessness so disappointing for me. It was clearly cold enough to warrant to warrant a hat, and he did not take advantage of that opportunity. So Shota is up there, and I do think it behooves him. He was clearly inspired by specifically his father, and so he makes a specific dish. He makes a puree out of the mushrooms that are the kind of mushrooms he would forage with his father. So it's miso marinated wagyu, which is beef, with a mushroom puree and a persimmon salad. Kristen Kitsch says it's visually stunning. She wants to steal the puree. Brooke loves the puree. Edley, who again, deeply triggering for me as our listener learned out learned last week, <laughs> talks about how kind of everything is in balance and understated. And it's a really, a really strong representation of who Shoda is as a chef, which is, it seems like outside of the thing just fucking tasting good, pretty much, you know, the most important kind of thing that can happen on this show. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, we're about to describe Gabe's, and I think I felt like these two dishes were in a way the kind of showdown we're going to see between these two chefs from the way the plates looked to the inspirations to just kind of all of it. And so it, I took it as a good sign for Darth Tater that Gabe won this confrontation, but I, I do think that that's, as you've said, a very different question when it's sort of the final fine dining meal, which which this was not. But I, I felt like this was emblematic of what's to what more is to come from these two chefs. True, though, as we'll see, I, I think it's a pretty even three-horse race. I, I don't... I don't oh, think I think that, so, too. I don't think Dawn should in any way be diminished below these two. Um, no. Let's get to Gabe, though, because you just mentioned him. You're better at not mangling Spanish words. Do you want to talk about this dish? <laughs> yeah. So Gabe makes some um, panutros with braised pork, kale, and pickled red onions. Um, so a panutro is like a Mexican street food from the Yucatan. I had to look it up. I'd love to pretend that I knew this, but I did not. Uh, and it's made with a, a tortilla that's then like stuffed with like black beans and refried and then topped with like cabbage, pulled chicken, tomato, pickled red onion, avocado avocado, pickled jalapeno peppers, basically everything I want to eat on a fried tortilla full of delicious beans. 
it seems like he did quite well. Again, specifically, he talked about wanting to go with a kind of elevated street food. Um, and it seems by all accounts, he, he knocked it out of the park. Um, Dale said it was the best thing he tasted all season. Melissa said it tasted like home. Calicchio said it is street food dressed up, but doesn't lose its soul. And all I'll say is that Calicchio would know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm being so mean to him. He seems, like a, he seems really, like a nice guy. I really like that that's kind of like become your role on the podcast. It's just like <laughs> shit talking Tom Calicchio. And I'm, I'm totally here for it. I think it's because he whines about desserts being too sweet. It's like, Calicchio, can I introduce you to what a fucking dessert is? <laughs> I mean, don't hold, don't hold back, Dan. Don't hold anyway, back. Anyway, he had no, he had no hat this week, so I had to come it's up fair. with something to be mad at him about. <laughs> Dawn, she makes a pork belly with pecan caramel, hell mm. yes, collard sweet potato red eye gravy. Though it does seem as if she forgot to put the gravy on two plates. I'd be curious to know if she would have won if the gravy had been everywhere, because everybody who ate the fully composed dish fucking loved it. Kwame just said Dawn for president. <laughs> I think there's a real chance because they are, I mean, they're so fucking picky, right? About not having ingredients on plates. I mean, that's why Don had to go to the dessert round of the tofu challenge. There was blood in the pickles. There was blood in the pickles. And like, if you're going to be in the top, even missing some elements on your plate, that for me says that that was a dish that, I don't know. I think she might've won. Yeah. I guess there's, there's no way to know, but, but they, they, they certainly loved it. Well, getting to the bottom you know, we start with Maria. Maria, I will gave one, by the way. Gave one. Oh, yeah. Woohoo! Darth Tater! Maria says, My wife put the bean sprouts in, and Gail said the, a sentence that is only possible in Top Chef quote, You made an emotional decision with the bean sprouts. <laughs> I loved that when she said that. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, then, it was also sad, but. And then Maria went on this riff about like, you know, dealing with kind of questions about her self-worth and just being intimidated by the people she's in the room with. And, you know, it's pretty moving. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, her background is not in the same kind of like culinary world as them. And I don't get the sense that she went to culinary school and certainly has not been in as many of these like high powered fancy kitchens as they have. And you kind of just see it in kind of like what her food is trying to be. It's a, it's a lot more, it's a lot more down to earth, you know, it seems than certainly some of these other some of the other chefs and, you know, I, it was kind of moving to, you know, just hear them all remind her, like, you know, you, you are, you've been cooking as well as them. This is where, this is where Colucchio's fucking snootiness actually has value. Cause when he <laughs> says, true. when he says you're, you know, just as good as them, that means a lot coming from an asshole who, whose ethos seems largely telling people they're not as good as he is. Um, yeah. I mean, Tom Colucchio is not going to say that to like be nice. That's not really like how he rolls. So if he's saying that, it's because he means it. No, seriously. Like he would cut a motherfucker for not salting their beans. You know what I mean? He's He means what he says and he says what he means. Jamie, I have to say, I mean, in this moment is also kind of heartbreaking. Like it's like she couldn't even make all her sounds. I think she's just really tired. Yeah. It was, I mean, yeah. I noticed too when she was reading her letter that instead of crying, she made like a little like sadness sound to try to keep herself from crying and it was but i mean she just looked exhausted she was emotional a reminder to our listeners i'm just going to take a step back before we can take a step further but in the charleston season which i believe is season 14 there's a pretty important moment in which a chef whose name i've forgotten who had immunity 
and made a shitty dish using shitty ingredients in part because he had immunity and most importantly was on Gwen's fantasy team, decided to sacrifice himself to save somebody else that was on his team that was going to get sent home and he sacrificed his immunity. And I bring this up to say, Gwen, you are the expert in Spartacus moments. What was your take on Jamie trying to sacrifice herself to keep Maria in the competition? Oh my gosh. I mean, that that other moment will live forever in my mind as I was sitting next to, to Dan on the couch in his apartment in Cincinnati and we both start to see what's happening in real time. And I'm like, no! And then Dan starts chanting, I am Spartacus as my team goes down in flames that was an example of someone being a moron. This was an example of beautiful friendship and love overwhelming Jamie for a moment as she really wanted to give Maria a second chance as she felt that she'd been given one. And it was just, I mean, it was beautiful. She wanted Maria to stay, obviously not at the expense of herself, but, you know, and Maria was like, you know, I'm of course not going to accept that from you, even if you were going to. And and it was beautiful, and they were crying, and Brooke was crying, and unlike that dumbass on Darth Tater, who was like, no, I'll make a dish with, like, peanut butter and, like, the leftover innards of a chicken and then fall on the sword that, like, you crafted for me because I'm a moron who doesn't understand how game shows work. This was, this was beautiful and lovely. As always, we appreciate the expert in Spartacus sacrifices yep. weighing in on the subject. No, obviously. And I, I like Maria. I mean, Maria was just like, let me pack my knives in dignity. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. But there was I, just, I just ugh. think there's just so much love. They don't even know how to handle it. I mean, you know, the beautiful Maria Gabriel moment you mentioned where she's like talking about how much it means to her, like what he's doing with Mexican cuisine and how it represents them both. You know, on her way out, how she talks about, you know, just being a, um, you know, being a, a sort of no-name cook from Tucson and the speed with which I Googled the distance between Salt Lake City and Tucson, Arizona, you know, <laughs> and also noticed that Jamie, Jamie's restaurant is in Las Vegas and started crafting a multiple, a multiple location road trip. I mean, Maria was a joy this season was, was, it seems like to me, you know, the, the best of what Top Chef can bring, not only somebody who feels real, but who is clearly incapable of misrepresenting themselves because they're just so fucking loud. Yeah, she was great. Uh, when she and Jamie walked into the room with everyone else to be like, hey, I'm, I'm going, Maria says, this asshole tried to quit on me <laughs> talking to Jamie. And I mean, Maria has just been Maria from the minute we met her to the minute she left and... I just, I've loved her and I'm really glad she was a chef who I thought there was a chance she would end up dropping out early in the competition just from like a fuck up. And I am super glad we got to have her on our screens for as long as we did, both for us and because I think this has probably been really genuinely positive for her confidence, for her relationship with the culinary world that she, I think, feels that she's a part of and not a part of. And I don't know. It's it's nice on the show, I think, to see it really, really be good for someone in the way that when you're perhaps recapping The Bachelorette, it's harder to find moments of like, wow, what a beautiful and wonderful experience this has been for this um, 
bartender from La Jolla. It's just not, <laughs> it's not quite the same. Uh, and this was beautiful. This made me happy. Yeah. And, and also not to, to kind of be flippant, but I would also say more or less, it feels like her time. I think, I so. think that Shoda, Don and Gabe have consistently been the best. Yeah. And I would be, I mean, you can't rule it out because all it takes is one slip up and anybody could go at this point, but one would think that Jamie being kind of in the same tier as Maria would be most likely to fall out next week, especially because she also just seems fucking gassed. I think she's really tired. It's actually making me think, man, this is going to be a really weird reference that you will get, but almost nobody else will. Um, There is a story, a short story by the writer Pinkney Benedict, who is a professor of mine, who also, I suppose, in a coincidence, is a lot like Tom Colicchio in both mannerisms and baldness. But a lovely story called Zog 19, A Scientific Romance. And it is about, among other things, a group of sentient robots on the planet Zog who only communicate by releasing sentient gas that is stored within their metallic bodies. And they go toot toot. But the problem is that, you know, they try not to talk too much because when they run out of sentient gas, then they're dead. And I, I just worry that Jamie has just been going toot toot too much this season. And she's Daniel. just she's just running out of gas. That's heart. My heart can't handle that. That Zog 19 story, that hits me right in the feels. And I, I don't, oh my Lord. And then the humans place the little dead robot bodies to spell out sorry, Lord. I taught that story this semester and it went very well. You know, I find with that story, if the students actually fucking read it, they like it. But if they look at it and they see it's about 25 pages and they check out, they don't like it so much. <laughs> that has been my experience as well. <laughs> Um, but yes, Jamie lives to toot toot another day, but I, I have to agree with Dan. I think, I think she's pretty fried. I think that that was partly why there were maybe as many tears as there were. Um, these people are just fucking tired. And, you know, Dawn, Dawn is only getting better and better and better. And I expect her to give Shoda and Gabe an absolute run for their, for the money in the finale. I think it really could be any of them. I agree. I agree. It absolutely could, could be any of them. And to be honest, I think it could get to a point where it's really hard to imagine how they would adjudicate it. And there's just so much stylistic difference in terms of kind of what they're even trying to do. I actually, if I had to tier it, and this is this is going to sound like sour grapes in advance for um, Grandma Lot of Love, my fantasy team with Shoda on it. <laughs> if I had to pick the least likely person to win, I would pick Shoda. And I think the reason is because of Western palettes. I get the sense that his food is mm. not always as bold and flavor forward. And they often talk about that in good terms as being delicate and balanced. But if I think about the kinds of people who usually win Top Chef and ultimately what particularly Padma, Colicchio, and Gale defer to, it is, quote, boldness of flavor. And that strikes me as something that both Gabe and Dawn have an advantage over Shoda. And so I think he will he will go out very well, but I, I think he, he could easily finish third. I mean, I could see him easily, obviously, obviously he could win it. He could come in second, but if everybody's on their A game, I just think their palates are going to side with the bolder flavors. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I mean, I think you could argue that that's why Gabe won this episode. It seems yeah. like they both made really good dishes. They didn't have anything that they faulted Chodas for, but it seemed like it was a subtler, less 
flavor whacking you in the face kind of dish. And yeah, no, I, I think that that's, I think that's smart. And then it really is just a question of like, well, that's what happens if all three of them played up perfect meals. Um, yeah. And then the question will just be, you know, what the fuck the, how it goes. We'll yeah. see what the challenge is next week. I mean, would it shock any yeah. of us if they were just like, we need you to make a five course meal like that's echoing the particular meal that was served to Marie Antoinette before her execution, but you can only <laughs> use Snickers bars. I mean, no, no uh, clue. No, what one, the no one knows. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, you always hope as you get closer and closer to the end that they reserve their gimmicks for really fucking stupid quick fires and like not for the elimination challenges, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We will indeed. Well, as always, we uh, would love to get your questions or feedback at batch underscore face on Twitter or resting batch face at Gmail. And for those of you who have come here for the top chef, bear in mind, very soon we will be dropping our bachelorette. And if you've enjoyed this podcast about what seem like really earnest people who are very, very skilled, <laughs> we have something totally different for you about fucking Instagram hit seeking camera whores who list their job titles as things like zipper sales manager and surgical skin salesman and entrepreneur. And let me tell y'all, I am both going to make fun of them and also root for them to find love. And that is the true absurd sweet spot that is the bachelorette. Well, anyway, we thank all of, uh, all of y'all for listening and we'll catch you next time. Have a good one.